you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, and we'll pick up where we left off in verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one in front of you under a chair. You're welcome to Use that, and if you don't have a Bible, take it with you. Verse 23 of Matthew's Gospel, of chapter 21. Now, it came, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, well, we fear the multitude. We all count John as a prophet. And so... They answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, The first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and harlots believed him, And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now it is quite possible, as we've covered the first part of the chapter here, that this confrontation that Jesus had uh, came after he had cleansed the temple. And he, uh, referring to Matthew here, inserted the... story of the fig tree here. It did happen that final week uh, as Jesus was going in and out of the temple daily. He would go back uh, out of the temple up to the Mount of Olives and down to Bethany as he would stay there in the evening and then at night. And then early in the morning he would rise and return to the temple. And so that occurrence that we covered last week, the cursing of the fig tree, uh, happened Uh, But it's stuck in here, I think, uh, at this point, because what is now coming after this parable of the fig tree is a display that what uh, they so richly deserve, that is to be removed from being the gatekeepers uh, to things of God. The judgment that was about to fall and that would come upon the religious establishment was... uh, 
well-earned, so to speak. And so this uh, exchange here of challenging the authority of Christ and the rejection and resistance to his word proved that they were no longer worthy and that God was moving out the old law and the approach of sacrificial uh, system of bulls and goats and sheep uh, was being coming was becoming I should say obsolete. God was through with the old and it was going to be bringing in the new and living way through the death and resurrection and the receiving of the Holy Spirit in time to come. And so it's interesting how writers are led by God to organize the scriptures and it's something that we should be paying attention to. The unrepentant attitudes of this leadership again would confirm this righteous judgment that God was bringing upon the nation. And so we're going to see here two uh, and a third next week of parables um, and these controversies that Jesus was having with the leaders. It, the drama is heightened. The animosity and the hatred that these men had for Christ is becoming more violent and becoming more pronounced. And people, the crowds recognize it and they see it. And of course, Jesus felt it. And so, uh, as we break this down a little bit here and unpack this this morning, it's authority. This is one of the most important concepts that we need to understand as sinners. First of all, all of us, because of the fall, seek to live autonomous lives. We really don't want to answer to anyone. It starts uh, right shortly after the birth experience. <laughs> and it's really illustrated during our years in the crib. <laughs> Screaming and hollering for what we want and when we want it. And demanding with our cries that we get what we want, when we want. And it takes good parenting. As one aged educationer, uh, education person said years ago, we as parents have one job, and that is to take the little barbarians that are born to us and civilize them. <laughs> and so this is what it's about. We have to learn authority and we resist that on a regular basis and it doesn't get any better the older you get we want our autonomy we want we're stubborn we want it what we want because we are selfish and we uh, want to be lord of our own lives but we're not capable of that and God knows that and he knows how to work in our lives to the point where we yield that to him and the more we yield to him uh, and come under his authority the more peace the fruit of righteousness, which is peace, we experience. And so it's not a hard concept to grasp. It's just one hard to let go and let God uh, type of thing. So here, uh, these various groups are approaching Jesus this last week uh, before the crucifixion. And what they're trying to do is trap him. 
They're asking him questions so that they can find some way that they might accuse him and find a way to you know, put him to death. They've got to have some reason. They can't just go out there and, well, in our day, they would just shoot you. you know? They'd just pull out the gun and, you know, oh, somebody shot Jesus. You know? That, you know, that wasn't available to them at that point. Um, so they, uh, of course, because of the situation the Jews run under the Rome, Romans, they had to bring Rome involved because Rome had taken away from them uh, the ability to perform capital punishment. So it wasn't just the Jews uh, that could do this. They had to involve the Romans, as we'll see a little bit later on uh, in Matthew here. And so uh, here's the thing. These people in their hearts, in their minds, they recognized the authority of Jesus. They just didn't want to admit it publicly. They accused him of being demon-possessed. They accused John the Baptist of being demon-possessed. I mean, this is the way that they could keep the people under their thumb, and because they were the gatekeepers, they're the one that controlled the sacrificial system and and the selling and and buying and selling of acceptable offerings, which, by the way, they were using uh, a way to rip the people off. And so, and the people could see right through this, you know. They could see that the the whole system was was rigged. I mean, they were. marking up the prices of these sacrifices and, and, and using the religious system to cover their greed. And so the average person could, could see that, and yet they didn't really have much of a choice because if they wanted to worship God, they had to follow the prescribed way. So it wasn't so much what these men were saying that was wrong, it's what they were doing. And, and Jesus was confronting that, and they didn't like it. By cleaning out the temple and, and, and all, uh, it again revealed their hypocrisy. You know, my father's house shall be a house of prayer and you guys have made it a den of thieves. You're just stealing from the people. And enough of that. And so this is what's going on here. And I think it's important for us to understand, you know, here at Calvary Chapel, why we take the position we take. You know, we, we, um, we love the children, so we want the children and, and to be taught on their level. And uh, here... You know, we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, Genesis to Revelation takes a long time to get there, but that's our objective. Uh, And we want people to be taught the Word of God. You see, this is what Jesus was doing. He went to the temple, and he, he worshiped, he prayed, he taught the people. You know, this is what church is supposed to be about. It's not coming in and, oh, I feel... You know, like it's about me. That's again, that's that selfishness coming out. No, it, it's truly honoring God and to make it a, a house of prayer, to worship, exalt the Lord, to give Him glory and honor and praise. It's doing that's what heaven's going to be about. It's the most natural thing that happens when you're spirit filled is to just worship God. It just, it just, it just happens. It's an amazing uh, thing. And, and in that worship, this is what I believe with all my heart. When we are worshiping God, that's when the transformation takes place. There's something God imparts his life to us as we lift our voices, as we pray, as we contemplate his nature and his character. It's that, it's that meditation of, and what, what is meditation? It's what's in here drops about 12 inches into your spiritual heart, into your inner man. That's, that's what we're talking about here. That's what happens during the worship. And so... We feel uh, convicted that when the Lord is present in our services here, uh, and we want to see the Lord lifted up, and we want to uh, 
avoid distractions. Uh, we want to, um, you know, like doing our song service. And you guys are pretty good about this. I will say that. But just know that this is why we do it. Uh, that we don't have distractions, you know, people getting up and running around or people, you know, running around with banners and, and, and drawing attention to themselves. We want to present an environment where the Lord can come and his presence is there and he has the freedom to move in the hearts. You know, I understand that we all have on occasion a biological needs that need to to happen. You know, let's just try to take care of that ahead of time. And and just avoid distractions of running in and out of the sanctuary. And you know, imagine if as we grow, and that's going to happen, by the way, as we grow. Maybe not in this building. <laughs> I think we're kind of bottlenecked here, but that's beside the point. But as we grow, could you imagine a couple thousand people, and then we've got a hundred people during the service in and out, running around? It's really distracting. And the Holy Spirit's trying to do something really intimate in the heart, and you just blow right by them, and like it's totally just ripped them off. That's what we're talking about. It's not that we're mean and legalistic and harsh about this. It's just loving. Don't interrupt the master. He's at work. The skillful artist, the master artisan. We are his work of art. He's at work transforming and working in the hearts. Mine, yours, all of us. And so uh, this is... um, this is the objective here. Just think about it for a moment. And some of you would fit this even this morning. There's people that walk through that door and their hearts are absolutely broken. They're, they're hurting. They're in pain. They don't, they're confused. They don't understand what God wants for their lives. And, and they're, they're desperate for God. And so this is why we take these um, steps to create an environment where the Lord is present and, and can work. And he is in the midst of us. That's a wonderful thing to experience week in and week out. Think about the physical healing that people may need. Not to mention the unseen and the spiritual healing that needs to take place. I don't know about you, uh, um, but I suspect you're much like I am. You're in desperate need of God. You can't live without his presence in your life. And I, I want him to fill my life and control my life and take my hurts and my pains and I want to be able to bring them unashamedly to them and have the Holy Spirit just help me through the situations of life because only he, only he can. And uh, I'm, I'm certain that that's what you desire too. And I like here, getting back on the text here, I, I, I'm always amazed at the wisdom that Jesus uh, exemplified in his ministry and asking these hypocritical, answering these hypocritical questions that he knew they were only trying to trap him, and he would he would take the high road, but he would always turn turn it uh, with a rabbinical teaching aid of asking a question back. Because when you ask the question, you sort of take control of the conversation, and they were trying to control Jesus. Uh, selfishly. And so he simply just asked them a question. Well, what about John's authority? You know, how do you guys, you know, account for the ministry of John the Baptist? Crickets. <laughs> yeah, you know, these guys were, you know, you read, we read it. Well, you know, hey, if we acknowledge John, then he'll, he's going to nail us. 
you know, and if we say that, you know, the people were, <laughs> were out of a job, you know. And so they were caught in their own hypocrisy. And so often that's what God is good at doing, exposing the hypocrisy of people who are attacking him and his people. You know, John's ministry brought many people to the Lord. There was a real, you know, he was the, he was the forerunner. He laid the groundwork for the ministry of Jesus. And many uh, acknowledged uh, John's authority and they knew he was a prophet, even though he did no miracles. He just preached boldly the ways of God and preached baptism of repentance, something that these guys were not capable of preaching because they had, it, they had no authority in their own lives. They didn't believe that they needed to repent. There was no, they weren't self-righteous. I mean, I'm okay. I'm right with God. I'm a priest, you know. I just tell other people what to do, but I don't really have to do it, you know, as if they were exempt from what they were teaching. And so it wasn't what they were saying, as I said before. It's what they were doing that was so egregious in the eyes of God and really in the eyes of the people. And so Jesus then responds, because of the crickets, with two parables. The parable of the two sons and then the parable of the landowner. And so we see that in these two sons, we have the religious son, so to speak, and then we also have this, the son who has gone astray, the sinner. And we sort of all, that's basically the two categories of the people that exist on the planet. There are people who are right with God, the godly. They've made sacrifice to Christ, and they're right with God. They're godly now. And then there are those who yet to come to Christ, who live outside relationship with God and they're referred to as sinners we were all in that category at one time and the one of the sons resisted and one accepted and <laughs> he's Jesus is actually comparing the gospel here um, message and how it was received uh, by this parable um, the religious ones should have known, should have understood. They should have received John. They, understood, they had the scriptures. They weren't like the debased, unwashed masses who were ignorant of God's plan. No, they were the gatekeepers. They had the knowledge. And, and that's why too much is given, much will be required. They were given the Old Testament. They knew what to look for in Messiah. They understood the concepts, the precepts, the judgments that God required of them and of the people in order to worship Yahweh. And so they, they should have recognized that John was the messenger from Isaiah 40. They should have known that, as he said, I am one in the wilderness, the voice of the, in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. They should have got it, but they didn't. And then there are those who are just simply ignorant, but they, in obeying their conscience, they knew they were in trouble with God. They, were, they just knew they were lost. And so for them, initially living in rebellion against God, partly due to these hypocrites, the gatekeepers who were not doing their job and yet stealing from the people, and actually were a hindrance to those who were trying to come into the kingdom. And Jesus is really going to set the record straight here in chapter 23 when he starts pronouncing these woes upon the establishment and he really reveals their hearts to the masses and that really does provoke them 
to murder him. But this is the idea. These, these people finally see a sincere messenger in John the Baptist and they like, oh wow, I need to get right with God. And so he baptized them unto repentance. And then that again just made Jesus, in a sense, his ministry easier for those kind of people. They just, they fell in love with him. The authority by which Jesus taught, the miracles which he performed, just an incredible move of God and the love that he showed the people. It was always based in the love of God. And so the initially these sinners rejected the message, but then after they heard the truth and saw the reality of it, then like, you know what? I got to get this right. Isn't that sort of what happened to you? Isn't that what happened to me? I know it's what happened to me. Oh, I don't need, uh, no. I'll wait till I'm older. Uh, I've got too much, f- I got to have fun right now. When I get older, then I'll accept Jesus. You know, I have some, you know, cute little excuse. And I realize, man, I almost, I almost went to hell. I almost waited too long. You know, this is what happened with these first, they initially resisted and then they regretted. The other says, as the religious people, oh yeah, we're, we'll do it. We're going to do, we're going to, we promise we'll obey God. We'll keep the law. We'll do your will. But then when they realize how difficult it is to live under the law and somehow not violate your conscience and you end up with this mind game going on that you realize you can't keep the law and you continually fail trying to be self-righteous. You either have to compromise your standards or just totally deceive yourself into thinking you're all right. And that was the latter. That was what really happened to these guys. It really doesn't apply to us. We're fine. And that's what the law does. It doesn't, there's nothing wrong with the law. It's the fallen nature of man. We're not, we don't have the ability to be perfect, to be holy, to be righteous. Righteousness, holiness, what is acceptable to God is a gift from God. It is received by simply asking, like the one who resisted, Lord, I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm such a wretch. I need forgiveness. Please forgive me. Okay. Instantaneously, you're forgiven. And you're put, considered righteous in the eyes of God. And so, uh, Jesus just, again, um, illustrated before them their great need. Now, you know, and it's interesting, the, the two groups that Jesus picked here, you know, the, as far as the sinners go, the tax collectors and the harlots. Now, in that world, and to some degree in our world, those were the most debased, the worst type of person you could be. You know, if you're going to be a man, you want to be a real hated sinner, then be a tax collector. If you're a woman, then, you know, be a harlot. You know, those were, the, those were looked down upon as the worst of both genders. And what, would it, what do we see in the scripture? Jesus came to the brokenhearted. Because, see, that's what happens to people who sin. That's what happens to every one of us. We sin, we miss the mark, and it, sin is destructive. It breaks our heart. It destroys our spirit. We're crushed. And Jesus came to the crushed. He came to forgive and heal the brokenhearted. Think about this for a moment. 
There's not a lot changed in the last 2,000 years, has there? We still have the self-righteous. We still have the debased, the ones that we think are the worst sinners of all in our midst. We still have the priestly leaders who despise the truth of God but act as though they're, and present themselves as though they're the righteous ones and nobody else is. And so what's more important is that Jesus is still here doing the same thing, forgiving people, healing broken hearts, setting people free, working miracles of healing spiritually and physically, changing lives. What a God he is. And so the two sins of the establishment in which we're all prone to, we're not going to throw stones at them because save for the grace of God, there go we, there go I. But their two sins were unbelief and unwillingness to, the unwillingness to repent. There was no repentance in their life. These are two things that we must strive to do all the time. That is to believe God, to take him at his word, even though we're blown away and we don't, how could he possibly do this? It's beyond how, our mind and our comprehension how God could possibly do what he's promised he would do. And, but So we always have to work on our faith, as it were. Allow the Spirit to, to impart that to us. And then we have to repent. God, we're always turning back to God. And I think when we blow it, we cross the line. and we, The WDs, you know what those are, right? That's willful disobedience. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. You're going to pull one of those every now and then. I'm doing it. No, I'm, this is what I'm doing. Really? And then you come to your senses and you ask the Lord to forgive you. See, that's, what, that's repentance. And this is what we do. And this is something that you can't just go through your life denying that you sin, that you miss the mark. I mean, you're gonna, that's how the, you get glossed over spiritually speaking, and you don't see. You're blinded if you continue down that thing. So just be real with God. You know, hey, you didn't really appreciate that, did you, Lord? No, I didn't, son. Sorry. I forgive you. You know, these are the kind of things that go on in the soul and heart of a person. In Matthew 23, 2, this is what was going on. As I was saying earlier, the scribes, Jesus said this, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe. That observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Again, we see this inner motivation. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Those of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those who who us are born again and are walking with the Lord, he re, he reveals this selfish nature to us. And I don't know about you, but when I see it in myself, I'm ashamed. And I it, it, and I tell you, it's the love of God that just keeps breaking you down. You know, these are important truths to that we have to gather. Uh, and understand. You know, so we, it's, it's obvious to see the moral failure and actually their sincerity towards God. It's, it's pretty obvious to see that, but actually that was not the greater sin. The greater sin, I think, 
of the Pharisees and the leadership here was that they did not recognize who Jesus really was. He was the second person of the Godhead made manifest in human form. God. This is so mind-blowing to, to us. I never get over this. God incarnated. God wanted to become a human being. And that is just amazing. But that's what the Old Testament was showing. And they totally did blew it off. They did not recognize. That was the greater sin. Not recognizing who Jesus was nor respecting his ministry. They resisted it completely. And then Jesus 33 through 46 uh, gives them another parable, the parable of the landowner that absolutely pinpoints and well, there was no denying who he was talking about. And actually this is based, for those of you who are taking notes, it's based in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. This parable of the landowner, and let's read it here uh, in verse 33. Here another parable. There's a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers and that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. He sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son saying, uh, to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and seize the inheritance, his inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they said to him, he will destroy these wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to others who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the fair chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. You think? <laughs> and when he sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. He planted a vineyard. In Isaiah, back to, you might as well turn there. We'll just, we're not going to read it because it's a lot there uh, that's the same. But in verse 1, we have identification. And this is always important when you're doing parables to identify uh, what, what means what. Isaiah 5 and verse 1. Now, let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on the very fruitful hill. 
He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choices of vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. And he expected it to bring forth fruit, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. You see in here, verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord is the ho- of hosts is the house of Israel. So there's no mistaking who Jesus is talking about. There was no mistake in Isaiah's day. There was no mistake in Jesus' day. And he pulls this from Isaiah to bring it to bear upon that final generation that would suffer the judgment for their disobedience to God. But it was the Lord who planted the nation of Israel. They were his vineyard. Notice that what he did here, all the things that were necessary for that vineyard to prosper. He set a hedge. What do you put a hedge around something for? Usually in that era was the stone, a stone wall. Walls are important. We're going through that right now as a people. Walls are important. They're for protection from surrounding nations. Spiritually speaking, God puts his hedge around you, around me, his hedge of protection. He dug a wine press, it says. Um, He's anticipating fruit. What do you do with the fruit from the vines? You make wine. You have produce. You want to receive the benefit of why you planted the vineyard. In this case, God is coming looking for fruits of righteousness. Praise and honor and glory. That which we were created for was to come forth from our lives. He dug a wine press. He built a tower. Again, providing security. Setting watchmen upon the wall to make sure that things were being taken care of. To get more of a a bird's eye view, a, a different point of view, to really see what was going on within the vineyard so that it could become all that it needed to become. You see, God provided for Israel his vineyard. And I'll say this, God has provided for the church of Jesus Christ. He puts his hedge of protection around us. He protects us. He is looking for the fruit of righteousness to come forth from our lives because that's why we were created. And he's watching over us. There are offices within the church that have been established by the Holy Spirit to guide, to provide guidance and direction and leadership apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists, to do the work of the ministry so that the body is built up, strengthened, knit together in love. This is God's purpose. God has provided powerfully for us. We have a a slogan, if you will, for our church this year, and I would encourage those of you who have not yet listened to uh, the last message um, the work of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 47 to to go back and listen to that. But um, the little slogan for our church this year, and it can probably, you can have it for the rest of your life actually because it's that powerful. I do what I can with what I have where God has placed me. We as a church want to do what we can with what we have. Where God has placed us. And this is this is the whole idea of imaging God, imitating God, doing 
doing the work that the God wants us to do, to be pleasing to the Lord. We're protected, we're provided for, we're watched over. And so I want to ask you, you're making plans for this new year. Are you planning to do the will of God? Or are you planning on doing your own will, fulfilling your own desires? Now these are questions that I have to answer, you have to answer. Am I doing what I can with what I have where God has placed me? Now, the antithesis of that is, is ugly. I do not do what I can because I'm not willing to use what I have because I have doubts about where I am in my life. Now, we don't want that. Let me read that again. I do not do what I can because I'm not willing to use what God has given me because I have doubts about where I am in my life. See, that's the other side of that. So it's our choice. We can choose to do what we can with what we have where God has placed us. Or we can fall into that place of no repentance and no faith and actually find ourselves resisting the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And God forbid that that would be our testimony. Just remember that God provides for our failures. God is merciful and God is so kind and gracious to us. When we blow it, we just simply need to acknowledge it, pick ourselves up, and begin to move in, back in the right direction. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sin from us. He's dropped our sins our failures in the sea of forgetfulness. And God is not going to bring them up. True love doesn't bring them up and throw them at our, back in our face at, an, at a later date. They're gone. And that's the way God feels about it. In this applicable parable to the Pharisees, he leased these vineyard out to people. These were the priests. This is a delegated authority. We need to understand what we have been given by God and from God as the body of Christ is a delegated authority. Jesus said as he was leaving his disciples after the resurrection, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. I don't know about you, but that's, that's quite a bit. That's, 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 that means there's nothing left that's not under the control of Christ. And I'm giving it to you. Go into all the nations. Reclaim the nations for the kingdom of God. For the glory of God. That's our mission. And however you can use your gifting and what God has given you to do that, that's what we need to be about. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It only gets complicated when I let the cares of this world and my selfish desires come in and complicate it. Thank God he's got patience with us. Isn't it? Aren't we glad about that? He sent his servants to receive the fruits. Yes, God sends prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles out so that the work of God can continue. God is looking for that sweet-smelling savor. He's looking for the fruits of the harvest to come. You see, what, what does God want to do? What does the Lord want? The Lord, has said, I said earlier, when it comes to church week in and week out, he wants his house to be a house of prayer. 
a house of worship and exaltation of himself. He wants it to have an environment where he can heal people spiritually, physically, and bring transformation into people's lives. He wants people to be taught. Jesus taught. We have remarkable forgetters, and we need to be instructed and reminded. Most, most of, and you guys know this, most of the things that I have taught, you've heard before. This is nothing new under the sun, but we have, being fallen creatures that we are, we need to be reminded. And somehow God takes these words that are spoken from the Bible, and it renews us. And we're reconciled to God, and we're strengthened by in our faith because of it. But God's desire is that we reclaim the nations for, with the gospel. Go into all the world. I mean, that's God's desire. He wants to set up his kingdom in every heart and every soul of every child of, that's on this planet. That it might truly be Emmanuel. You know, that's his mission. God with us. And you know that. God is with you. Well, I sure don't feel like it. Yeah, oh yeah. He's a lot closer than you realize. Like he's inside you. Can you get any closer than that? Well, I don't feel him. Well, you're supposed to feel him. He just says he takes up residence. Okay. That sort of puts a whole new spin on thing, doesn't it? Just listen to that small, still voice and you'll do well. You know, what these men did is they they murdered. They were full. What does murder come from? It starts with hate. A critical spirit. When you and we're all prone to this. I'm, none of these things that I'm talking about are, are, are any of us above. We, we can all fall into these ditches and traps. But a critical spirit is really is hatred. When I begin to criticize and judge others, what does the Bible say? James tells us, Who are you to judge? If you are a judge, you're no longer a doer. Boo. So that means you're not really a servant. Now you be kind of isolated yourself from being a servant. You've sort of, in your mind, maybe come up a notch. Now you can judge everyone. See, that, that, that kind of spirit is actually hatred. A critical spirit. Now, I'm not saying we're spo- not supposed to analyze things and to have discernment. That's not what we're talking about. But you can sense when you cross the line. Why am I judging this? Why am I saying, you know, do I, am I really trying to tear the person down or am I trying to, to build up the situation. You know, God forbid that we are destructive with our criticism. It's not what it's for. But these servants murdered those that were sent. They rejected the message, just like these men rejected the prophets. And now they were rejecting the Son. Why? Because they wanted the power. They wanted the worship. Essentially, that's what it was. They wanted the position that he had that rightly belonged to the Son. (laughs) And Jesus asked the (laughs) loaded question, what will the owner do to these caretakers? He's going to put them to a miserable death. Yes. And so, again, Jesus responds so that it became really clear. It's almost as though he's saying these things to bring their hatred to its full maturity. 
And they are going to display either repent, and God allows that stuff to happen in our lives to bring it out so that we see it for all of its ugliness. In hopes, not to make us, to make us feel bad, that's not the intention, that, so that we see it for what it is, and we want nothing to do with it, and ask him to take it away. But these were not willing to have it taken away. They resisted. And so he finishes with the scripture as I will as well. And a the stone which was rejected. The stone we know by scripture represents Messiah. Daniel 2. The builders, the stone which the Builders reject it has become the cornerstone. It is the Lord's doing. Marvelous in our eyes. Again, Psalm 118. And they sought, obviously, to lay hands on him. In uh, Throughout the scripture, for those of you who are taking notes, uh, Deuteronomy 32.4, 32.18, 32.30 and 31, Psalm 18.2, Psalm 18.31, and... 1846, stone was a messianic title. This was something that they, again, just could not receive from his lips. He, they know that he's talking about Messiah. Israel, to Israel, Jesus was that stumbling stone. But what is he to you? What is he to me? He's the foundation. He's the rock that we build on. A foundation that can never be destroyed. He is the head of the corner according uh, to Ephesians 2, 20 and 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. What's going to happen at the end of the age? According to Daniel, as I referred to earlier, 234, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, the dream, world-governing empires in his dream. And what happens at the end? You watch, this is verse 34, and while a stone, Messiah, was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's what's coming. That's our future. We are going to rule and reign with the stone. Messiah will rule and reign and he will destroy these world governing empires that have ruled. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a future you and I have. Isn't it worth laying down our lives? Isn't it worth doing what we can with what we have where God has placed us? And I say, yes, it is. Yes and amen. I want to end where we kind of started this morning. I want you to know and I want you to understand more than anything else how much God loves you and how much God has his hand on your life. It's, it's inescapable. He calls you. He calls me his beloved. He has much affection. 
He's watching over you and your life with great jealousy. He's not going to let the enemy sift you and destroy you. No one is able to pluck you out of the Father's hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth, breadth, width, nothing. No, no angels, no devils can separate us from the love of God. Paul used this term beloved for those that he had led to Christ. Timothy was a beloved son. And others were as well. You look at, and I don't have time for it, but you can look in Romans chapter 16. Paul, the older he got, the more he cherished the relationships that he had with those that he served the Lord with. He has a whole list at the end of Romans 16. Amplius, Urbanus, Apelles, Narcissus, Tryphenia, Tryphosa, Paris, Philegram, Hermas. You get the idea. Julia. These are people. These are individuals. God sees you. He sees me as an individual before him. But collectively we are his body. That he is working and moving in wonderful ways to meet the needs that people have around us. This word beloved is spoken of Jesus. Remember uh, when the transfiguration a cloud covered them and overshadowed them and of course, the disciples freaked. I would have, and you would have too. <laughs> Voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Pay attention to him. Listen to him. How much God loves you. His loyal love endures forever. Shall we pray, Father? Thank you for word and please help us Lord to grasp this incredible love that was willing to become human suffer among us be spit upon bruised and damaged disrespected ridiculed and mocked your willingness to take nails in your hands your feet spear in your side beat beyond recognition having your beard plucked out and spit upon and betrayed all those things we see because you knew we needed forgiveness you knew we could not remove our guilt from our lives nothing that we could ever do could remove that pay that price and so you did it on our behalf and you vindicated yourself authenticated your ministry through the resurrection from the dead. And now we, when we die, we will rise with you. You will raise us all from the dead and glorify us and make us just like you in that sense, Lord. What a future we have. What a hope we have. And so, Lord, put that in our hearts this year, Lord, to just serve you with all our hearts, with all our might. May your hedge of protection be around each of us today. And may you bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. May you cause your face to shine upon them, Lord. May you lift up your countenance upon us, Lord, and be gracious to us. May you bless Calvary Chapel. 
May you go before us and do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever think or ask. May we not limit you in any way, Lord. May we truly allow you the freedom to do what you want to do in our hearts and through our lives. We commit this day to you now. Bless our fellowship. Bless your name, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?